0: Hello. I am super excited I'm sitting here today at the Charity Charge office in our podcast studio with Cammy Hawkins, the CEO of Marathon Kids. Hi Cammy.
1: Hi, Stephen. Thanks for having me.
0: No, it's really a pleasure. Um, you know, I've known about the the brand and the organization Marathon Kids for some time now just being a resident in Austin, but I was really happy when we met. Uh, I think really only a matter of uh 3 4 5 weeks ago and got to meet you face to face and learn a little bit more about the organization, there's a bunch of questions that I want to ask you kind of about your experiencing, transitioning to the nonprofit world and all of that. But just to give us a sense, can you give the quick kind of overview to anyone listening of what is Marathon Kids and what do you guys do?
1: Sure. Yeah. Marathon Kids is a nonprofit organization, been around 24 years. And basically our mission is to have kids be active and healthy for their entire lives. So we challenge kids to run the equivalent of four marathons over the course of a school year. So quarter mile, half mile at a time. And really it's about teaching them long-term behavior adoption and just healthy habits.
0: That's amazing. So um, can you give us a sense of your scale? I mean, because what I was really um, so impressed by, I thought that you'd solely operated in Austin. And then I realized that, you're, you know, you're all over the place. Can you talk a little bit about your impact across the country?
1: You bet. So we grew up here in Austin, Texas, um, and we are a national organization. We have about 90,000 kids running with us this year. I think we have 38 states represented. Um, of course, a big portion in Texas, but it really just all over.
0: And can you tell a little bit of the um, founder story? A lot of people are always interested, and I am kind of the origin. And And really what kind of kicked off the whole point of having this podcast is I would have countless conversations with nonprofits one-on-one and I just thought their story needs to be told. So um, can you talk a little bit about the origin of Marathon Kids, but then also how it caught your attention and how you got involved?
1: You bet. So uh, Kay Morris is the founder of Marathon Kids. So back in 1995, she came to running kind of late in life. So she was in her 30s. She pulled a running guide out of runner's world and started training for her first marathon. And as she went through that process, she recognized that kids should have the opportunity to understand what this is like, to set goals, achieve goals, um, and be able to log that progress along their journey of running a marathon. And so she created a single marathon program where the kids would track their miles up to one marathon, 26.2 miles. And then we would do a big celebration event, um, at the end of that, to celebrate all the kids that had participated. So back in the day, my kids were elementary school kids at Cassis Elementary, and they were part of Marathon Kids. So I knew about it really since the almost the very beginning. And then I had a, a career in healthcare, and kind of just got to the point um, of frustration. Trying to fix things in the healthcare system, was traveling quite a bit doing consulting, and just decided that I wanted to do something that I felt like I had a little bit more impact and a little bit more direct relationship um, with and something in the nonprofit world. So, fortunately, the Marathon Kids job kind of presented itself, and here I am.
0: That's amazing. <laughs> I'm so happy to hear that. Um, you know, I'm finding constantly that a lot of people are. You know, transitioning into the nonprofit sector after having a for-profit career. Um, just curious, kind of what comes top of mind of of the the differences for you and. I can see your passion and enthusiasm. I mean, it seems like you're getting a lot of enjoyment out of being on this side of the industry.
1: Mm -hmm. It's true. So I think probably a couple of things. Um, First of all, I think that there are things that we do in the for-profit world that nonprofits can benefit from. So better fiduciary responsibility, a little bit more focus on even though we talk about for-profit or not. For a profit. Without money, there is no mission, right? So you can still make a profit in the nonprofit world. Um, and just being able to do that in a way that's kind of innovative and and um, allows a better sustainability mechanism in the nonprofit world was really what drew me to Marathon Kids. They were doing some innovative things as far as product development and Um, fee-for-service models, all with the intention that those revenues could then in turn support the mission and the kids that we were really trying to reach. Um, So I think that my experience in the for-profit world um, you know, just setting targets and goals and really kind of marching to the cadence of reaching those goals allows me to apply that in the nonprofit sector and hopefully um, bring us some a little bit more success on the revenue generation side of the world.
0: That's awesome. When you talk about um, the revenue model and the fee for service, can you give some e- examples of that? I mean, and kind of as I'm always trying to add kind of my two cents here, something that I really actually appreciated about our um, initial conversation is your revenue model and the sources that you pull from. And so oftentimes I'm seeing nonprofits that are spread way too thin trying to do way too much and trying to you know, raise money, whether it's from corporations or it's grants or it's individuals. And then obviously in between or underneath those buckets, there's all the different ways that you can go about you know, making asks and and, and and raising funds. But anyway, back to the question. Um, can you talk about and give an example of a fee-for-service?
1: Sure. So in Marathon Kids, probably about 85% of all of our funding comes from traditional nonprofit sources. So grants, foundations, um, corporate sponsorships. And then our fee-for-service model is exactly that. So Marathon Kids as a product can be sold to schools, to um, what we call out-of-school time vendors or community providers, and then even directly to families. So you could go on our website if you're a mom or dad and you're looking for something for your kids to do to increase their physical activity. You could literally purchase Marathon Kids for $20, and we would send you all of the content and the coaching information that you as a parent could use with your kiddos, along with the incentives Um, we're lucky enough to have Nike as a big corporate sponsor. Thank you for the
0: t-shirt, by the way, I've been wearing it around town. Awesome. I love it. Amazing.
1: Good. Um, so the incentives are Nike branded incentives. So there are things that the kids like, and it is a Nike t-shirt and then some cool little, um, rewards that they get for their second, third and fourth marathon.
0: That's awesome. I'm actually extremely curious to ask this question, please, if there's any, um, Sensitivity to around it that you can't answer it, but um, I think it's amazing when organizations, companies like a Nike, would want to get involved and participate in what you're doing, and you know any company getting involved in a philanthropic initiative. Um, can you talk about you know how that kind of relationship originally originated and how long you've had that?
1: Absolutely. So uh, we are going into I guess we're in about our four and a half years with Nike. And they um I think they have an incredible model. So they have a division within Nike that's called Global Community Impact, and they work with about seventy different nonprofit um, organizations all over the world. Mm-hmm. And their um, their main position is made to play is their initiative within Global Community Impact. So any partner that would align, um, with kids and teaching kids that they were made to play and that that brings them to not only health, but so many other different things in their lives um, is what Nike is looking for in their, in their uh, global partnerships. So they actually came to Marathon Kids, um, found out about us and reached out because they were looking for a youth running organization that they could partner with and uh, reached out to us and that was right in the midst of the time when Marathon Kids was going through some programming changes from the one marathon model to the four marathon model and really kind of amping up that moderate to vigorous physical activity component for the kiddos because we just recognized that they were not getting that um, any longer just based on our sedentary lifestyles and the way that our culture had changed. So it really aligned perfectly with what Nike was trying to achieve and what Marathon Kids had kind of set their next goals and and vision to, and so it took a while, like everything with these big partnerships, to kind of figure out what that fit was going to be, how they were going to be a good partner for us, and how we in turn were going to be a good partner for them. And um, over the years, it's kind of um, it's evolved and grown. So they. A lot of the money that they provide goes directly to funding um, run clubs in our most needed areas and areas where we're trying to develop. But then they also participate in strategy and funding activities that really move us into capacity building and that sustainability that we're talking about. So really partnering with them to identify strategies and ways that we can create revenue mechanisms and or opportunities that will allow us to be more self-sustainable in the future
0: and that which what I think is actually very interesting is when you mentioned that the the fee for service model approximately how new is that I mean it doesn't sound like it was something that you were doing from day one of the organization ex- start
1: exactly right it's it's very new so really we're in our third year of an earned revenue model. So just about a year after the Nike relationship.
0: And how are you getting the word out about that? I mean, how would typically um, someone know to, because often you can have the best product or service, but if people aren't aware of it, but you guys continue to grow and you talk about serving nine, correct me if I'm wrong, but 90,000 kids across the country. um, How how have people learned about the fee for service? Do you think?
1: So it is, uh, again, great question. You are very astute, just walking right down the business model path. I like it. Um, I'm asking the tough questions [SSSSSSisi] here in the studio. Um, And you'll know this just from probably your own experience um, in nonprofit. Usually the first budget that gets cut is marketing and communications. And so just being able to provide that ground cover and, you know, have a strategy around what that's going to be. You could tell
0: we have a huge marketing budget [SSSIS] here.
1: Yes, huge. (laughs) (laughs) Much like we do. Um, But honestly, we um, so a lot of that did come from. Um, the Nike relationship. So they promote, they try to cross promote within Nike across the brands and allow, you know, give us opportunities to have some um, events and or um, highlights so that we'll get amplified so that Marathon Kids, you know, at least the brand is getting out there. The name is getting out there.
0: But part of, can I just say yeah. to that, and that's what I'm trying to help at least with the platform that we're building certainly not the level of awareness that you have from Nike which is awesome but it's all additive um, we would normally I would ask this at the end but you know if someone's listening and there are a um, you know they're 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 interested in this for their kids or they're a teacher out of school or whatever they could go on your website I imagine find some information what, what, what would they need to do yes
1: just go to www.marathonkids.org And um, there you can find all the information you need to contact us to start a club, if you're interested in becoming a coach, if you're a mom or dad and you want to do a family program, or even just a neighborhood program. We've had families that kind of um, join together and do their own little run run club in the neighborhood. Uh, Yes, it's all there on the website. And then another way that we've been able to really spread the word is there's an organization called um, Active Schools, which is kind of the um, lingering organization from the Michelle Obama era of the Let's Move Active Schools. Mm-hmm. And that organization has a, a nice platform where they can reach pretty much all every school across the country. So when we um, put out our national grant in the in the fall, we use active schools to help get that word out so that people will apply for the grant. And then if we can't fund a grant request, then our community development managers work directly with those schools to either help them fundraise to pay for the program or, you know, find a way that we can figure out how, how to get them programming. Mm -hmm.
0: And I, I think that, you know, you briefly touched on this maybe when we kind of opened the podcast, but to get into a little bit of the nitty gritty for it, for anyone that's listening that's trying to really understand this, can you talk to, you told me when we were, you know, originally met um, kind of a case example of how teachers will oversee this for the school I guess what I'm trying to get at is can you talk about how it actually operates if you're works. if you're if maybe if you're a teacher listening or someone wants to tell a teacher, hey, this is what you could do in your school?
1: Yep. The easiest way is probably if you're a teacher and you want to be a volunteer run club coach for marathon kids um, you could do one of two things. Go on the website and pay pay for marathon kids, have parents give you the dollars and then just start your club it could be as simple as a once a week run club after school immediately after school from you know 3 to 4 or whatever it whatever it might be you might get 20 kids the first year we would send you the coaches guide and tell you kind of how to set it up we basically give you step by step of the lessons and how to start and warm ups and get the kids running and then also all the tools for the kids to track their miles so each child would have a mileage log, and you would just collect those logs at the end of the run club um, after the kids have tracked, you know, however many laps they created. Obviously, you need a place to run, so a track or a playground or whatever it is, a safe place to run, and then measure that track so that you know how many times around it takes for a kid to get to a quarter mile or a half mile or whatever it may be. So it could be on a playground. You may have to go around the playground five times for it to be a quarter mile. And then you just let the kids know how to track that. And then they can track all kinds of different ways. We've seen teachers just put dots on kids' hands with a Sharpie. We've seen um, kids get handed little Popsicle sticks or little bracelet bands to keep track of their laps. And then even more sophisticated um, tracking, scanning, you know, where the kids wear a QR code and they go by and they scan them on an app. And then as the kids reach that first marathon, one of the big things we just ask the coaches is to role model for them. So be out there with them, show them those positive role modeling skills of being active and healthy, celebrating them, high fives, encouragement, Etc., and then obviously giving them the rewards when they hit those milestones.
0: And what are some of the rewards? How are they? So, the work? first reward
1: is the t shirt, which is the most popular reward. Um, so it's a Nike t shirt and it has a big 26.2 miles on it. Um, and we like to give that one first because it really encourages kids when they see other kids with that shirt on, they're like, Oh, I want that shirt so I can reach that, you know, that milestone. So, they'll they'll evaluate where they are and be like, okay, you know, six more laps and I'll get my t-shirt. And then the second one, um, they vary from year to year, but it could be shoelaces. Um, we have this cool little patch, we have, um, these toe tags, and then we have this very cool kind of, um, braided bracelet for the fourth reward. That's
0: awesome. Yep. How, um, a couple of things that kind of come out of this one, just to be super clear, because I was originally tripped up on this. The children, for anyone listening, are accumulating the miles towards the marathon. They're not being forced to run, you know, a, an entire marathon after school.
1: Exactly. So exactly right. Clear. You know, it's it's funny. When people hear the word marathon, they immediately go to what, what your thought process was. is oh, my gosh, these kids are running a marathon.
0: You were all proud. You were telling me about some child that had run four marathons. And I'm like, in a row? Like, what are we... <laughs>
1: <laughs> now, we actually have a, a young lady actually in Lampasas, Texas last year who ran 21 marathons over the course of the school year. It's unbelievable! So one of the big things when we went from one marathon to four marathons was that that scared a lot of teachers off. They were worried that the kids couldn't do that many miles. So it's basically four marathons is 105 miles, but it's like I said, broken up a quarter mile or a half mile at a time and kids can do that much and often do way more than that but what we tell the teachers and the kids and the coaches is that the distance is really not what's important what's important is setting a goal working hard to achieve that goal Having the support of your friends in your class or your run club members that are are supporting you. So really giving kids not just what's going to make their bodies healthy, but what's going to help them in life with goal setting and um, being everything that they want to be and just having a happier life. And the other big part of Marathon Kids is it's fun. And physical activity should be fun. It shouldn't be a punishment. It shouldn't be, oh my gosh, I've got to go out and run today. It should be a part of your life that you enjoy. And that's really what we're trying to teach kids.
0: That's awesome. I want to um, actually, as we're having all of this, what I'm realizing is you have entered into an organization, amazing mission, reason why, you know, it was created in the first place. And then you've been able to add a lot of guidance and leadership to keep growing it. So it's always curious to me now, um, being, you know, starting from an idea and creating a business and there's always the outside world of what people see, but then there's always the behind the scenes of what's actually happening to kind of, to make the sausage and make everything work. So, if it's okay with you, I'd like to ask some questions kind of about just the org structure and the operational side of things. Sure. So you're supporting 90,000 children um, a year through this, and obviously you're, you're leveraging the support of the teachers or the coaches mm-hmm. um, to be able to kind of administer it, be the kind of the boots on the ground in their respective uh, geographical area. But internally in Austin or elsewhere, what type of staff do you have in terms of just ballpark size and Mm -hmm. what kind of roles, you know, do do you have that ultimately are um, working with you alongside, for you, under you, however you want to say? No, you've
1: got it exactly right. So we definitely rely um, on our volunteer coaches, teachers throughout the country to be our boots on the ground and to have the direct interaction with the kids. Um, from an organizational standpoint, you could probably you could divide the organization into basically three, four areas. So you would have your program team, development team, your IT tech, and then HR finance. So those four areas. So our program teams are the ones that work the most closely with the coaches and that are continuously trying to improve the way that we deliver Marathon Kids, make the tools simple, you know, as simple as possible to use, um, create opportunities that make it easier for coaches to implement, and really getting at that implementation success so that when we hand Marathon Kids over to a coach we're ensuring that they're going to be successful and that they're going to see the results in the kids that we expect them to see. So that team is is made up of community development managers and customer support operational um, folks doing that. And there's probably five or six of those guys. Um, then our development team, obviously, is our big fundraising arm. So um, that's a team of of four so we have a grants writer community development manager what we call a partnership integration manager and then our chief development officer so they are hitting all of those targets of grant writing foundation dollars finding the corporate sponsors and creating innovative solutions for fundraising and or revenue development and then IT is IT um, we're fortunate. We only have one IT person, but she is amazing. And she works with outside resources as needed to create the systems that that we support. And then our HR finance um, person actually manages all the office management and HR and finance
0: and then me. That's amazing. (laughs) I love it. And you have a board. You have a large board as part of obviously being a nonprofit organization in the first place. How um, involved is the board?
1: Uh, Very involved. So that was one of the things when I came on board that the board had already recognized that they needed to be more engaged and involved involved. Um, so we have our board split up into different committees. So we have folks that come from the development field that are on a development, um, committee. We have a science and research committee that is supported, um, by folks that are over at the University of Texas and the School of Public Health that are helping guide us and, providing us research that supports everything that we're doing so that we can message to everyone out there about why Marathon Kids works in all of these different aspects and areas. Then we have a finance committee and then um, we've recently started down the path of an advisory group to really help us create those community relationships that are going to create, again, that sustainability that I talked about earlier. So, um, Pretty active board. Um, we're trying to diversify our board because we are national. Right now, the majority of our board members are from Austin, Texas, but we have lots of folks who have national reach. Um, we have some celebrity board members, so to speak. Sonia Richards-Ross, um, who is a five-time Olympic medalist. is one, Yeah, she's wow. one of our most recent board members, and she's been awesome. Um so yeah, so we are trying to reach people that obviously have a um, attachment to the mission of Marathon Kids, as well as fill a particular area of expertise that then allows us to kind of exponentially um, provide leadership in all those different areas.
0: It's really helpful that you that you shared all that. I mean, I think sometimes what um, is lost on the difference of uh, for profit versus nonprofit is the the uh, requirement, you know, and and the, the role that a board plays for a nonprofit. Obviously, for for profits, if you're publicly traded, you would need to set that up. But so many for profit companies just operate on their own and have no necessarily oversight or guidance, and so it's an interesting balance, I would think.
1: Absolutely, and of course, my background was healthcare, and I worked in a lot of nonprofit healthcare settings. And we dealt with boards and having to report to the board, but in a small nonprofit like Marathon Kids, it's a completely different relationship because there is a reliance uh, of the organization on that board for that expertise and guidance and oversight. I mean, they are the fiduciary responsibility, you know, they hold the fiduciary responsibility for the organization. So that is who I report to. Um, And, you know, and it's incumbent upon me to keep them apprised of everything that's going on internally so that they can make good decisions and help the organization move in the right direction.
0: And this might be a little bit of, I didn't necessarily prep you for this question. I'm curious what comes top of mind, because I think a lot of people that are listening um, may be interested in joining a nonprofit board. What, in your opinion, you know, makes for a good um, board member? Um, And what do you, and or what do you think people should be thinking about if they want to join a nonprofit board?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I would say, you know, obviously you have to have an attachment to the mission. It has to be something that's near and dear to your heart because most of these boards are going to be voluntary. They're not paid positions. So you're going to have to find time in your life and your day to be able to support that organization. So you've got to have that connection first. Um, secondly, I would think about it in the way that we look at who we're trying to recruit for our board. So what skill or expertise do you as a, as, an, as a business leader or as a community leader bring to the board that's going to provide them some sort of, you know, going to fill a void in one of those areas of expertise, whether it's marketing, development, technology, you know, even just finance and um, business operations. Um, So position yourself that way. And then finally, um, the most probably, if not the most important thing is that engagement. If you're going to commit to be on that board, then you want board members that are going to be actively involved. So that are going to lead committees that are going to do things without me being the organization, having to push them to do things, we can just set things up and then they are driving specific projects or goals or metrics that are going to help the organization.
0: That's awesome. I think it's, I'm always learning too. So I appreciate it as I'm, as I'm taking all that in. Um, I want to really just thank you so much for being a guest, you know, on the podcast and we covered a lot, which, which is really informative for for me, um, for Daniel, shout out to him for being here in the studio with us and uh, hopefully for, for anyone listening. Um, I know we mentioned it in the earlier part, but kind of to recap, if people are interested in getting involved, should they just head to your website? What would what you suggest? Head
1: to the website. Um, our phone is there. You can reach out to any of the leadership team, anybody on the team. All of our emails are on the website as well. Um, I am just Cami, C A M I at marathonkids.org. So you can reach out to me directly. Um, but I would suggest going to the website and finding, you know, figuring out where you want to plug in. And I would just say, you know, we're we're also just always building our donor bases and looking for people to contribute. Basically, for $15, you can support a kid for an entire year. So you can just go to the website and Sold. donate. 15
0: to bucks. 15 bucks. All right, I'm done. You got me. I'm in. <laughs> I'm doing it. You should do it too. If you're listening, thank you so much, Cami, for being on. I really appreciate having you as a guest.
1: Yeah. Thank you for having me. You made it really easy.
0: All right. Till next time.